This morning our scripture reading, of course, reflects the day that we are celebrating. And so please turn with me to the passage we have been dipping in and out of in the course of our service this morning, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. While you're turning there, let me say a very warm thank you to our choir this morning. What a spectacular beginning that was to our service. Deeply appreciated and reminded us of that spontaneous outpouring of worship and adoration on that first Palm Sunday. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt to the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Amen. As you know, the congregation and friends from time to time send me emails which they find uh, humorous, frivolous, and so on, hoping it will raise a smile. And this past week I was sent this. Priest, a minister, and a rabbit entered a clinic to donate blood. The nurse asked the rabbit, what's your blood type? And probably a typo, said the rabbit. Some of you are going to get that instantly, and some of you are going to take a minute or two to get, there you go, I'm seeing heads begin to go down and smile. It takes a moment or two, doesn't it? Because, of course, we know the old joke, a priest, a minister, and a rabbi. And then, of course, they tell something funny. But here it's rabbit, and so the rabbit said, what is your blood type? It's a typo. And that's why it's funny. And for those of you who still don't have it, that's okay. Someone will explain to you in the course of the morning. Now, why am I starting with this? Quite simply, for this reason. If you are in a working environment, or someone sends you an email or a text, and you come across a typo, mentally, you begin to say, oh, that should be, or oh, that's not right. Or somewhere in the back of your mind, you have for that fleeting second the thought that, oh, mentally, I need to correct that. It's just, it's just not right. And when you come to Palm Sunday and move into this Holy Week, 
for all of the celebration of the children rejoicing with palm branches, with all of the singing of Hosanna, Hosanna, and crowds putting cloaks down, we know how this week ends. And in the back of our mind is that sneaking suspicion that this does not end well. And so on Palm Sunday, it kind of feels a little like somewhere in here, there's a typo. There's something wrong. Because amidst all of the joy and the celebration and the hosannas, we know this week does not end well. And that sense of sneaking suspicion runs throughout this passage as well. We know that this is the very highlight of the gospel message moving into Holy Week. It is the greatest week in the life of Christ. It is of outstanding significance. And most biographies, if you are a reader of biographies, will give around 10% to the final days of the main character or the hero as you read and follow the biography. But not so in the Gospels. Each of the Gospels gave an entire third of that Gospel to the last seven days of the life of Christ. And it's quite simply because this week is so significant, so unprecedented, that it comes to a climactic end. And so we spend a significant amount of time in the course of this week looking at not only its significance, not only its monumental importance to the biblical authors, but how does it impact us these 2,000 years later? And so come with me and look at the passage in front of you. And it begins, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. Now let me pause right there. Because what we have in Matthew chapter 21, these opening verses seem like an almost ordinary narrative. There is nothing unusual, nothing exciting, until you stop and focus And readers of Matthew's Gospel know what others have come to put together gradually. And we read, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, Bethpage is probably considered, not probably, is considered a suburb of Jerusalem. You can walk to it in about... 12, 15 minutes, it's less than two miles, uh, considerably less than two miles from the center of Jerusalem itself. It is, you go down one side of the Kidron Valley, you walk up the other. It's a short walk. Jesus uh, had passed through Bethpage many, many times. And it's not so much Bethpage that Matthew is trying to get their attention to focus on, but Jerusalem itself. And there is so much more going on here than you would first imagine. Because Matthew's readers know this, that several times in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has talked about going up to Jerusalem. And in Matthew chapter 16, we read, From that time on, 
Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their gospels change after this event, and it's recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. A new meaning, a new urgency, a new focus creeps into the gospel as Jesus continues to make his way towards Jerusalem. And you see it again, in fact, in Matthew chapter 20, the previous chapter. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, a reference to himself, will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised to life. And then we find it in the passage we read. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Who is this? And that sense of moving towards Jerusalem, continuously heading in that direction with purpose and meaning and significance is echoed here in these opening verses. As they approached Jerusalem, has great significance, came to Bethpage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent the disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. One of the dangers of Palm Sunday is this, that we focus on the donkey or focus on the children waving palm branches or focus on the crowd shouting Hosanna and laying down their cloaks. That's not a bad thing. It helps fill in the welcome that the Messiah received. It reminds us of an influx of pilgrims for the Passover feast as the population of Jerusalem changed from probably a quarter of a million, 300,000, to over a million during this week of Passover. But it's also worth remembering to stand back a little to think again and pause and reflect on all that God had been doing since the book of Genesis. And all he was doing was moving history to this great culmination and climax of his eternal purposes and plans. And so when we read Jesus entered Jerusalem, it has so much more going on than we first imagine. When we hear of the children celebrating and shouting and the crowds welcoming, so much more is going on than we first imagine. Is there celebration? Of course. Should there be celebration? Absolutely. And it's to be encouraged with the coming of a Messiah. But more is taking place here. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, we see the unfolding of God's eternal decrees, His infinite purposes, plans pointing towards all that is about to take place. And Matthew is indicating for us 
that the most sophisticated religious system of the age, combined with the most powerful political entity, the Roman Empire, arrays itself against a solitary figure riding on a donkey. And the clear and strong impression is this, that before the week is complete, he will be arrested, abused, mocked, tried, crucified. And yet, in what we have seen so far, it tells us, in fact, that he is at the very center of it all. Not only participating, not only going along in what is taking place, but in fact he is overseeing and supervising every single step. And that's why when we read as they approach Jerusalem, it is so significant. That's why the Scriptures tell us we must go up to Jerusalem and there we will be arrested and tried and crucified and put to death. Because he understands what is taking place, what is unfolding in their midst. Because, of course, he is heading towards the cross. And all that we will be reminded of this week, all that we will see unfold is no typo. It's no mistake. It's not something that happened by chance or accident, but since before the foundation of the world, God's ultimate plan for the salvation of humanity would take the Messiah into Jerusalem to die for our sins. And there's a sense of that running throughout this entire narrative. And notice what comes next. When they move into Jerusalem... The crowd asked, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Who is this? What is going on here? What is actually happening? Those were the questions being asked. And Matthew, since the beginning of his gospel, has focused on that singular motif that runs through his gospel. And earlier you heard me say there was that seminal moment in Matthew 16 where Jesus turns to his disciples and said, Now who do you say I am? And that question of his identity and why he had come and what he was seeking to achieve runs throughout his gospel. And that's why it's right there. Who is this. And remember earlier, verse 4, this took place to fulfill. This took place to fulfill. Not a thing of chance or accident, a mistake, a typo. In fact, the very opposite. Who is this? And the last time we read those words, this took place to fulfill, were in the opening chapter of Matthew's Gospel. All this took place, they're talking of the birth of Christ, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what's taking place here. That's what's taking place. 
to fulfill God's eternal purposes. Shepherds and kings came to worship him at his birth. Throughout his ministry, he healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. We saw it last Sunday morning. He walked on water. He prophesied his own death and resurrection. All of that, Matthew is reminding his readers of as he ushers in Palm Sunday and Holy Week. But... Palm Sunday doesn't end with children shouting and waving branches. It's not complete as people put cloaks on the ground welcoming a Messiah. The remainder of Matthew chapter 21 focuses on one of the most exciting, dramatic, memorable moments in any of the Gospels. And we didn't read it, but I'm about to. And please listen, or if you have your Bible, we're focused on verse 12 to verse 17. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what the children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. In moving from moments of great celebration, he moves into the temple. Into the temple area where hundreds and thousands of pilgrims will gather over the next seven days. And they will come from all over what New Testament scholars call the Mediterranean Basin. People with a Jewish background going to Jerusalem for the Passover And when they get to Jerusalem, they will purchase doves, pigeons, lambs, young goats. They will take them into the temple and they will sacrifice them. Some of them will come from what we think of as modern day Turkey. Others will come from North Africa. And they will have their own coins. And when they arrive at the temple, they can exchange those coins for coins that can be used to purchase animals in the temple. Some of the pilgrims will bring with them some antiques that have been handed down family by family through the generations. They will then exchange them to buy the sacrifices they are about to offer. And imagine what would happen if you walked into what was called the outer court of the Gentiles. It was the size of 35 football fields. Enormous. 
hundreds of merchants exchanging money at exorbitant prices and commerce had turned to greed and corruption. Can you imagine the noise? Can you imagine the stench? Can you imagine the milling around and the busyness of all that was happening as thousands of pilgrims arrive and merchants gear up for that particular week celebrating the Passover? And as Jesus arrives, he looks around and is astonished by what's taking place. And he's astonished, and the passage tells us that he becomes angry and says, My house will be called a house of prayer, and you have turned it into a den of robbers, where people were taking from innocent pilgrims, charging just exorbitant prices, robbing them. And Jesus has had enough. And he's had enough for this reason. That there in the temple, a place of worship, a place that should be sacred, a place reserved for adoration and praise and quiet prayer, a place that should allow each pilgrim to be refreshed and renewed as they give thanks and bring an offering, and it was turned into something else entirely. It was a place where heaven and earth intersected. The visible, the invisible, the sacred, the secular, and the shallow and the superficial was disguised as ritual and routine. And he becomes angry. The difficulty for us this morning is this that Palm Sunday is a Sunday we enjoy. It's a Sunday where we delight to have the children with palm branches. It's a Sunday where we thrill at being able to sing of the Messiah coming into Jerusalem. We know what's coming, and we delight in all that's about to transpire, and we should. And we like... Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, riding on a donkey, coming to show us the kingdom of the Messiah. But we become uncomfortable with the cleansing of the temple. I certainly do in my life. Because when I read this passage, I'm reminded that he's come to cleanse the temple of my heart as well. To turn over the idols that I have. To take away the sin that I hold so close. And to change me. And it's uncomfortable. And it's unsettling. And yet, if we are ever to go to the next level... In our faith with Him, it's necessary for Him to do that. To cleanse and refresh and renew. To take away the shallow and the superficial. To allow the heart and mind and soul to become that sacred place. That place of prayer. When He begins to work there, He's no longer gentle Jesus, meek and mild. 
but he's dealing with our sin. He's reminding us of it. He's moving us to that uncomfortable place of repentance. He's calling us to a whole deeper level. And this week, as we begin to remind ourselves of all that He achieved and accomplished for us, there are two or three things worth bringing into our minds again. Number one, Jesus who introduces us to the sins in our lives which we need to confront is the Jesus we need to spend time with this week. Look at it again. That's the Jesus we need to spend time with. A Jesus who introduces us to the sins in our lives we need to confront. Number two, a Jesus who highlights for us patterns of behavior we need to break. That's a Jesus who confronts us this week. Number three, a Jesus who brings to us insights into who we really are, we didn't have before. And what a joy that is when he begins to work at that level. And finally, we discover a depth of relationship with God that perhaps we never knew existed. That's Holy Week. That's the unfolding of the story as we remember exactly who he is and why he has come. It's not a typo. It's not an error. It's not something we need to put right. But it's something we give thanks for regardless of how painful it is personally. And something we rejoice in because at last the Savior of the world has come. And he has come to fulfill the eternal purposes and plans of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the powerful reminders from this passage this morning that not only does Jesus come into Jerusalem and into our own lives as gentle and meek, but he comes to change us to refresh us, to renew us, to forgive us. And Father, for all of this, we give you our thanks this morning. Help us please on this Palm Sunday as we enter into this holy week that we might once again spend time with you as you retune, recalibrate our deepest love and affections and draw us closer to you. Father, hear our prayers we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.